Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. Since the 19th century, the Jewish religion has been described as an expression of, if not the origin of, something called ethical monotheism. This description means to indicate that what counts most for Judaism is a set of moral teachings which finds its source in one all-powerful God. To believe in this unique being and to obey God's moral commandments is understood, according to this approach, to be the essential message of Jewish religious texts. This way of portraying Judaism has its roots in the rationalism that developed following the European Enlightenment in the late and mid-18th century. Such a characterization either ignores or underestimates major features of traditional Jewish life and thought. One of the most important of these features, for instance, is the Torah, the first five books of Moses' emphasis on Kedusha, holiness, a religious category that encompasses but goes far beyond the demand for goodness and moral living. Yet in spite of the definite limitations of the phrase ethical monotheism, it does point toward a vital and dominant theme of the Torah in what is both written form, Tanakh, the Torah, Nevi'im, the prophets, and Ketuvim, the oral, and the writings, and its oral form, namely the Talmud, God's expectation that the Jewish people and through them the world live by principles of justice and equality. Concern for morality or ethics or what Jewish sources would call practicing righteousness is expressed in biblical stories or histories, in prophetic speeches, in the poetry of Tehillim Psalms, in the Hebrew Mishlei, the Proverbs, and in the book of Eov, Job. In rabbinic commentary throughout the prayer book and perhaps most significantly in the form of law or mitzvah, to study and to understand Jewish ethics properly in its most complete manner would require us to delve into all of that matter. But of course, on our show this morning, we can only have a brief overview of this important concept known as ethical monotheism. Let me stress that monotheism, that part of the term ethical monotheism, is quite relevant to the topic of Jewish ethics. Faith in God or more traditionally speaking, obeying and following and at times challenging God is for Judaism a foundation of the moral life. Not only is God the source of morality, but morality is one of the main avenues leading to God. In a sense, justice and equality are the bonds which link God to humanity, while simultaneously linking every person to his or her human companion. This morning, I want to introduce the Jewish values of justice and equity to you. These values in Jewish texts and in Jewish history 
will at times come into conflict with other values, creating ethical dilemmas that we encounter in all of our lives. But this morning, I want to begin with a story that many of you know, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. From the very beginning, Jewish experience and sacred literature have been permeated by a deep concern that equity and justice be carried out in human life. One of the first and most powerful expressions of that concern is Avraham's dialogue with God over the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah found in Genesis 18, 17 through 26. This section of Torah contains moral principles and concepts that are no less radical today than at the moment of their appearance some 2,600 years ago. At this early stage in the development of the nation, the Torah makes known the extent to which tzedakah and mishpat, the Hebrew words which speak of justice and righteousness, that these form the foundation of what God wants from the Jewish people. These two words, as they evolved over the course of millennium, are at the core of the Jewish mission on earth. However, the desire for justice which God reveals moves in two directions. God, too, is bound or has bound himself by these same principles, as you will hear in a moment. Therefore, according to Bereshit Genesis, a person, a human being, can call the creator of the universe to account for God's own actions. Avraham's boldness in challenging God in the name of what is right is the origin of a long Jewish tradition involving what Canadian philosopher Emil Fackenheim calls citing God against God. Avraham and his spiritual descendants, we the Jews who live today and who believe in the one eternal God, are those who do not merely obey God passively, but have internalized the ways of God to such a degree that they are capable of being true partners and even at times challengers of the divine. So if you have accessible at the moment... Turn to Bereshit chapter 18, verse 17. If the text is not available to you, let's listen to it together. And God had said, Shall I hide from Avram what am I doing? For Avram will surely be a large and mighty nation, and through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Since I have known him, in order that he will charge his children and his household after him with keeping the way of God to do what is equitable and just, in order that God may bring upon Avram what he has spoken to him about. Then God said, Since the clamoring of Sodom and Amorah has increased and their sin has become very grave, I, the Eternal, will now go down and see whether they have done as completely as its outcry which reaches me. And if not, I will know. Then the men departed from there, meaning the angels from Avram's area, and walked towards Dom. 
But Avraham remained standing before God. Avraham approached God and said, Will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Perhaps there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you really sweep away and not forgive the place for the sake of 50 righteous who are in its midst? It is a sacrifice, sacrilege for you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous be just like the wicked. It is a sacrifice for you. Shall the judge of the whole earth not do justice? God responded, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, I will forgive the whole place on their behalf. And those of you who reading the text, or those of you who know the story, remember that Avraham and God enter into a bargaining. What about 40? If there are 40 righteous, will you save the city? What about 30? If there are 30, will you save the city? Until they finally reach the number 10. If there are 10 righteous people, they for that number, God will save the entire city. It is, parenthetically, the number that is used to determine what is called in Judaism the minion, the minimum number of people that allow for a public worship service or for certain prayers to be said um, over at funerals. As described in chapters 15 and 17 of Genesis, God entered into covenants with Avraham and provided him with an image of his future destiny. This destiny involves innumerable offspring who will eventually have a land of their own. Chapter 18, of which we have just read a section, clarifies and dramatizes that this Jewish mission initiated through Avraham has principles of morality at its heart. The family of Avraham will bear a special responsibility to do what is equitable and just. But at the same time, this responsibility qualifies them to confront God over actions which challenge these values. Now, the beginning of chapter 18 notes the appearance of three men angels who have come to perform certain tasks on behalf of God these tasks include announcing the birth of Isaac and destroying several wicked towns in the vicinity of Avraham's camp. However, before the angels proceed to the latter assignment, God decides to disclose his plans to Sodom and Amorah to Avraham. Just as we have read. Now, what's noticeable is that a detail of the Hebrew grammar indicates that the first three verses of this text, and God said, spoken about him, were said prior to the events taking place. In other words, the decision to inform Avraham had already been made in God's mind before he says aloud, since the clamoring of Sodom. The opening phrase, verse 17, the Lord had said, the Yehi Amar, is an example of what is termed the perfect tense, an action completed in the past. The words that follow in that quote were not said to Avraham or anyone else. In contrast, in verse 20, when we read by Yomer Adonai, then the Lord said, 
is the imperfect form of the verb and describes what is occurring at the moment. God wanted for Avraham to hear his statement concerning Dome and Amora. The main reason, as noted in this text, why Avraham is told about the impending destruction is that the people he is founding, the Israelite people, has a special role to play on earth. Avraham's descendants are singled out in the Torah to become guardians of a certain way of life built on justice and equity. Apparently, the logic applied here is that it is appropriate for God to consult with Avraham on this major moral disaster, since Avraham and his future nation are meant to be representatives or agents of divine morality. Think about that. In this story, which is well known to so many of us, and certainly the closing part about Lot's wife leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, is understood by Jewish tradition to give permission for Avraham to challenge God. And in challenging God, he does so out of the covenant which God has established with him. The two key Hebrew words within this text are tzedakah, umishpat. The late Israeli rabbi professor Ize Malamed considered this combination of two terms to be an example in the Tanakh of what is termed in linguistics as hendiadis. This is a figure of speech where two nouns are connected by a conjunction to express a single notion that would normally be expressed by the combination of an adjective and a noun. By combining these words in this fashion, the importance of tzedakah, equity, is more pronounced than if it had appeared only as an adjective to modify the word justice, mishpat. Thus, for the purpose of emphasis, the Tanakh speaks of equity coupled with Joseph, justice rather than the equitable justice. One facet of this word combination teaches that ideally, Avraham and his descendants will be responsible for balancing, for combining a strict system of justice with a perspective that serves to modify that strictness through a close look at the circumstances of each situation. Equity then implies going beyond the letter of the law when it is warranted to do so. Since God has made Avraham a kind of partner in the enterprise of establishing justice in the world, it would be wrong to hide from Avraham, as the text says, such a dramatic and justice-related event as in destroying Sdom and Amora. God is almost saying, this is Avraham's business as much as it is mine. According to verse 19 in this story, where we read, since I have known him, the most essential purpose of God's relationship with Avraham, the reason for God's covenant with him, was to involve Avraham in just these types of ethical decisions. In fact, it could be argued that God was hoping Avraham's moral understanding had developed to a point where he would struggle with God over these issues. 
This may have been a test of Abraham's spiritual growth. Such an interpretation is supported by the way God virtually invites Abraham into a discussion about how to deal with Sodom and Amora. I will go down and see, God declares, as if his descent to the earthly realm was necessary in order for God to render judgment. The statement seems rather like a way to alert Avraham that he could still influence the fate of these cities. What an unusual partnership. What an unusual intersection between the divine and humanity. Another traditional way of explaining why God uses the terms to go down and see also conveys an important ethical idea. The Midrash, the commentary, the homiletical commentary on this section, suggests that through this unnecessary move on God's part, he is teaching human judges how to conduct themselves, i.e., that they must decide cases based only on direct and careful examination, not rushing to make a judgment, being sure of the facts, and giving the benefit of the doubt are aspects of God's righteousness, which the rabbis of antiquity perceived in this story. This text, Genesis 18, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, is an example of how piety in the Torah is not expressed only through obedience or submission. Avraham's protest is based on a profound concern for equity and justice combined. This belief in what is right made Avraham willing to confront rather than bow to God's superior judgment. For God's part, acceptance of this protest reinforces the central significance as, of ethics, as well as the notion of a partnership between the Jewish people and God in establishing righteousness. To achieve equity and justice, the children of Avraham may be required to use their freedom in bold and creative ways, which includes struggling with God, the source of ethical teachings. Again, let me point out what an unusual notion this is, that while obedience to God's words are certainly an important aspect of Jewish religious life, at the same time, the story of Stom and Amora teaches Jews and is interpreted by Jews that they have a responsibility out of their belief and covenantal relationship with God to sometimes protest God's actions and to question God's actions and to challenge God's action. This text also illustrates a fascinating spiritual contrast between angels and humans in the Tanakh, what is known as the Hebrew Bible, Melachim, angels, appear to be messengers or manifestations of God's will, which can take any number of physical forms. In fact, in Exodus 3, for example, the angel may be the burning fire within the bush. And within Genesis 22, an angel, which may be the ram itself, speaks to Avraham on Mount Moriah in an attempt to keep Abraham from sacrificing his son. 
These entities do what God wants. They perform specific tasks unerringly, but they are not morally free. As the men go off on their errand of destruction, it is Avraham who remains standing before the Lord. Human beings alone, in contrast to both higher and lower creatures, angels and animals, have the capacity to freely follow their inner decisions. And although angels in the Torah are perfect servants, they can only do as ordered. The freedom to choose is both the glory and disgrace, according to Jewish tradition, of humanity. The same ability to act freely, which the residents of Sodom and Amora used for evil purposes, is used by Avraham in an attempt to save the innocent among them or even the guilty. As it says, forgive the place for the sake of the 50 righteous. Whereas the rest of the created world corresponds exactly to what God wants it to be. Human beings, men and women, can oppose and potentially can change God's will in this story. In this sense, men and women are beings most similar to God. By choosing to stand and protest God's plans, Abraham shows himself to be a fitting partner in dialogue for his creator. Abraham, in this story, tells us that he has achieved a kind of moral independence or adulthood in his connection to God. Abraham understands, perhaps in part through what he has learned from God, that there are basic standards of right and wrong. Those standards may come from God, from the way God has designed the world, but once they exist, they apply universally. Please note that in this story, Abraham does not assume that every action of God is, mere, is just merely because God does it. In Abraham's view, for something to be equitable and just, human beings must be able to comprehend the justice of us. This is true even in relation to God. Avraham's protest is based on the idea that he, as a representative of humanity, and therefore all of humanity, can understand right and wrong as fully as the divine. This story, the power of this story, is the first of many examples throughout Jewish history, of figures who challenged God in the name of the teachings which God had revealed. In biblical literature, representative instances of this protest can be found in the following sources. Exodus 32, verses 7 through 14. The book of Yirmiyahu, chapter 12 verses 1 through 6, Psalm 44, verses 10 through 27, and the entire book of Eov, Job, is devoted to this theme of human beings challenging God as to what is just and equitable. The fact that confronting God in this fashion is considered legitimate by the Torah is a powerful statement about the spiritual dignity of human beings and the cosmic importance of ethical behavior. The conceptual basis for this citing God against God, or in Avraham's word, shall the judge of the whole earth not do justice, is probably the Brit, the divine human covenant. Through binding himself in a legal pact with humanity, 
God has agreed to play by the same rules for what constitutes righteous living. And when Avraham challenges, he doesn't fool around. First, he highlights the nature of the ethical problem framed as an expression of disbelief. Will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? There is a pattern of saying things twice in his speech, which seems very bold. The boldest accusation made by Avraham to God, which is also repeated, is certainly when he claims, it is a sacrilege for you. Chalilalacha, the Hebrew word translated as sacrilege, carries the connotations of profane, disgrace, and desecrate. It is the opposite of making something holy, such as in the phrase chilul Hashem, desecrating the divine name. The way Avraham presents his case sounds almost impudent, and yet God accepts the appeal along with apparently the style of presentation. The continuation of this passage has Avraham arguing, as I've already noted, down to ten righteous people, and Avraham's radical language is only matched by God's openness to hear the protest. One insight into the divine that this chapter in Genesis reveals is that God of Abraham is not a willful, irrational potentate who cannot hear criticism. All to the contrary, as suggested throughout this presentation this morning, God's reaction to being challenged is further proof that God is delighted to be accountable to the standards that God has established. This is exactly how the Torah understands God wanted Abraham to behave And the whole negotiating session showed that Avraham had, in fact, learned to keep the way of God. The great Jewish author Elie Wiesel writes, To be a Jew means to serve God by espousing man's cause, to plead for a man while recognizing his need for God, and to opt for the Creator and His creation, refusing to pit one against the other. Only the Jew opts for Avraham who questions and for God who is questioned. Only the Jew knows that he may oppose God as long as he does so in defense of God's creation. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah is the foundational story for the ethics and morality within all of Judaism. For Jewish faith and Jewish facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, wishing you a good day. Podcast of this broadcast can be found on iTunes or on the CHRI website. Good morning. Shalom. Shalom.